Today, I'm going to talk about the most crucial and the most challenging relationship in life, that is marriage. Marriage is the most crucial relationship in every community, especially in church, for it affects all other relationships. And that's why in Ephesians 5, 6 to 7, when Paul talked, Paul talked about the three important relationships in the New Testament house churches, the first relationship that Paul devoted most of his energy and then talked the longest is about marriage. And then, as you know, whenever I had uh, some kind of a love quarrel with my wife, you know, it kind of showed in the pulpit, right? So marriage affects all of us. And I entitled today's sermon, Holy Matrimony. This term actually comes from Roman Catholic sacramental theology. And uh, I'm not a Roman Catholic, and I don't believe a Roman Catholic sacramental theology. By the way, sacramental theology means Roman Catholics believe there are seven rites or rituals of the church through which God's grace comes to us, such as uh, infant, I mean, baptism, confirmation, uh, marriage, and then penance or confession rite, or unction, the last rite, you know, the anointing of the sick, and the holy matrimony, and then holy orders. Uh, reason the Protestants or dissenting Catholics, Catholics with a small c like us, don't believe the sacramental theology is that Jesus Christ is a perfect sacrament of God. He is a perfect means of grace, and we don't need any institutional man-made right. And instead, church we call it, uh, and Protestants we we uh, we. Uh, called the Jesus commands to baptize and also remember the communion, Lord's uh, Supper, as ordinances. But regardless of that, today I chose this uh, Roman Catholic term to highlight that apart from God's exceptional, extensive grace and mercy, marriage is an almost impossible journey. Someone said that marriage is like uh, Ikea of a relationship. Easy to walk in, confusing to piece together, and difficult to exit. And uh, somehow, that, you know, that uh, analogy really jives with me because every time I, you know, Jamie and I, we buy something from Ikea and assemble, I always forget a piece. And you know what happened, you have to reassemble. And second time you assemble, it's never the same. And I feel like that's our marriage. Always something is missing and very wobbly. And by grace of God, we are standing. I also like you know, what Socrates says about marriage. marriage. Socrates, the famous Greek philosopher or father of a philosophy said, marry by all means. If you are happy in marriage, you can thank God. If you are not happy in marriage, you can still thank God because you will become a philosopher. <laughs> and you know, Socrates' wife is known as one of the three worst wives in human history. For me, getting mar married or marriage means going to a battle. Not battle against each other, but battle against your own blindness, selfishness, and immaturity. Marriage will reveal who you are. 
So I will encourage everybody to get married. Arrogant people will be humbled by marriage. People who think they are great, they will be humbled by marriage. People who think they are self-sufficient, they will cry for God's mercy. Yes, praise God for the marriage. And no wonder God made a marriage. God, God is the one who made, made a marriage for us. Marriage is a battle because we battle together to experience God's grace and extend his mercy to each other to become more like a Christ. Today I'm going to share three biblical principles about holy happy marriage. I will say holy happy marriage because if you really make your marriage holy, focus on God, you will truly enjoy happiness that God planned and blesses marriage. And the reason I say three, as you will see, marriage signifies three and one. Holy, happy marriage is ultimately a reflection of a trinity. Okay? So without further ado, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 21 to 33, and let's read responsibly. So, brothers, we will read first, and then sisters, you follow. Ready? Here we go. Annie, you can stand in the back. All right. Let's read. Brothers, we go first. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For the husband is a head of the wife, as a Christ is a head of the church, his body, of which he is a savior. Husbands, love your wives, just as a Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Let's read together. Verse 33. Go. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Amen. Amen. In the absence of his wife, somebody said amen. <laughs> this is an example of a handpack husband. First thing about marriage, the first principle about happy, holy happy marriage is holy matrimony has a third party. Verse 21, Paul starts, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before I... Uh, explain this, I want to tell you this. The life God designed is, 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 uh, is, is based on that we cannot find the fulfillment without another person being involved. 
We are not made to satisfy ourselves. Though each one of us has, a, has within us a drive to fulfill ourselves and to find the satisfaction, we will make a very serious error if we think we can ever satisfy ourselves apart from relating to another person. It is this matter of a human relationship that Apostle Paul is uh, talking in Ephesians 5. Relationship of a husband and wife, and the later chapter 6 we'll, we'll see relationship between parents and children, and then masters and slaves. We need uh, this relationship very desperately. Life is made that way. You know, fundamental mystery of a life that God constructed or created for us is that we cannot achieve our own satisfaction, but we can only achieve it when we seek to attain not our own benefit, but benefit of others. You know, one time I heard that a, a, a child, a, a, a pastor's a, a children's sermon, and he brought this, uh, you know, the back scratcher, and then he said, well, you know, somebody went to heaven, uh, hell, and he found that everybody was, uh, you know, that uh, everybody's hand was attached to this uh, whatever back scratcher. And then somehow, you know, no, they, 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 they have each, but they couldn't scratch. So they are all in kind of pain. You know, when you want to scratch and then there's no one to scratch. I mean, you cannot reach your itching area. It's very annoying, right? And so, oh, heaven is a very, I mean, hell is a very annoying place. And then he went to heaven. Same thing. People have the same condition of arms with whatever the scratcher. But in heaven, what happened? Everyone scratched each other's, you know, itching, itching part. Even though it's a very crude children, you know, sermon analogy, but it's so true. We are made, the Bible says we are made in God's image in Genesis 1, right? God made a man and woman his image and his likeness. That means you and I made in, you know, after the triune God. And the triune God, how do they relate to each other? They really submit to each other, encourage each other, and love each other. They seek the other. So that's how God made you and me. So our satisfaction doesn't come from my selfish gratification, but when I serve others. That's how my true satisfaction comes. This is why Paul says, subject yourself one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, marriage is not just a relationship. Marriage is a triangle relationship. There's a third part involved. That's what it is, a holy matrimony. There is a Christ. And uh, do you know what is an isosceles you know, triangle? Isosceles. You know, that one has the same, so as you get close to the, uh, the uh, top angle, what happens? As you get close, you get close to the other, other side. Marriage is like that. As we get close to, today you will hear that as we get close to God, we will get close to each other. And then here I want to bring it out, the clear understanding of what Christian marriage is. A lot of people think a Christian marriage is a two Christians getting married. Do you think that that's a Christian marriage? 
Christianity's marriage is not because you got married in the church, or both of you confessed to Christ as a, you know, your Savior and the Lord. Christian marriage happened when both of us, husband and wife, submit to the Christ. When Christ is a common bond. The purpose of Christ is that what binds you, then is a Christian marriage. Don't simply say that uh, we, you know, we are Christian, we, you know, we, my, my spouse and I, we, we have a Christian marriage because we go to the church. I know a lot of Christian marriages fall apart. Common, what is your common bond? What unites you? If it is not Christ in his kingdom, let me tell you, you're in serious peril. You think you have a Christian marriage, you are not. And today, actually, I titled today's sermon, Marriage as an Earthly Perichoresis. Those of you who take a cornerstone Bible study know, heard the word perichoresis. Perichoresis is an early Christian's term for Trinity. And they call it the perichoresis is a Greek word, sort of made up word. Peri means around. Periphery. Choresis came out of, came out of choreography. Dance. So perichoresis literally means dancing together around. Actually, there is a form of a dancing. There's a communal dancing go, go in circle. In a trinity, early Christians, they have this incredible insight. They are not just a community or relationship. They are really happy relationship. When do you dance? Do you dance when you're sad and mopey? You dance when you are happy. You dance when Baylor was beating all you. <laughs> that's a, you know. Anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> and that's a miracle never happens. But anyway. Perichoresis means that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit really, really, you know, loving each other. And they're dancing together. And the marriage is just earthly perichoresis. Jesus Christ and me and my husband and wife, you know, my spouse, three of us dancing together. That is a holy matrimony. Do you dance with Jesus and your spouse? Is it, where is Jesus in your marriage? That is a key. You know, Christ set us free, not just for the sake of freedom, sake of submission. You know, people don't realize that we, God just uh, liberated us. No, God liberated us to serve him. Once again, when we serve God and his people, that's how our satisfaction comes. All other independence, move, liberation movement in the world, they are shortcoming. They all talk about freedom without the purpose. You know, God, freedom is important, but Freedom is important because without the freedom, we cannot really serve the purpose. And marriage is our earthly freedom that God gave. And we use the freedom to love one another and serve one another. So simply put, in marriage, I'm free unless I submit myself to Jamie. And Jamie is not free until she submits herself to me. Are we clear? Many, many people saw this passage as, uh, you know, whenever it comes to Ephesians chapter 5, people ask this question, 
Also, Pastor Paul, do you believe uh, the egalitarian view of a marriage or do you believe a complementarian view of the marriage? You know, the most important thing about marriage is a Christ. Once again, is a Christ is a Lord of your marriage, partner of your relation, you know, partner and the guide of a relationship. That is the key. Today, I want to go more practical, and I hope that uh, this well-known passage, you get something practical out of it. So let me go to the next one quick. So first principle about holy matrimony, it has a third party. It has God. Is a earthly perichoresis. <laughs> Second principle is this. Holy matrimony has a voluntary submission of a wife. Let's look at the verse 22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is ahead of a wife as a Christ is ahead of the church, his body, of which he is a savior. Now, as a church submit to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Today's passage, if you really look at it, the key word is a submission. Another key word here is submission. And it doesn't just talk about submission, but submission, you know, it's at verse 21 and verse 33. It said the uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And also verse 31, it said the, uh, what is this? Uh, it said respect your husband. Submit, you know, uh, wife must respect husband, okay? So English translation is a reverence and respect, right? In Greek text, it's the same word. Phobia, fear. Out of a fear for Christ, you know, submit to one another. Funny thing is that initially it's a mutual submission, but it repeats again. Wife, fear your husband. We are not talking about negative fear. Phobia usually is a negative. We are talking about very, very serious, serious reverence and fear. Now, I think, you know, I kind of uh, chuckled at this because Twice wife was called to submit out of reverence or fear, phobia. What do you call it? At the beginning and the end of the sentence, start with the same word. All right. In, you know, it's called inclusio. Inclusio. Oh, well, there it is. Inclusio. I didn't know I already put that. It's a very common literary uh, device in the Bible and ancient writing. Now, the reason I believe that a uh, Wives are called to submit twice with a fear for God and, you know, also for respect for husband. Is that most wives will find out their husbands are not great. <laughs> when they date, they are blind. They don't know, you know. So these daddies girls usually find out their husbands are great, like their daddies. But after they get married, they find out their husbands are mama's boys. And this mama's boys have a serious, you know, they need some serious help. You know, at the cocktail party, uh, one woman said to another, that aren't you wearing your wedding ring on the wrong finger? And the other replied, yes, I am, because I married a wrong man. That's what she said. Anyway, we all, you know, to some degree, 
share that sentiment from, you know, once in a while. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I imagine when Paul sent this letter to Ephesian church and, the, and then all the churches around there, it's a circulatory letter, right? Ephesian letter was not only Ephesian church, but all other churches around that area. So they kind of, so news spread and they said, oh, our Pastor Paul, you know, he sent a letter from the prison for all of us to read and, you know, to really follow God better. And they are all excited. And oh, well, you know what? It has a, a section about the how to manage family better. Wow, we need that counseling. They are all excited. And then so they get together and finally somebody reading the letter. And when letter comes to so-called this household, you know, code or household table or household, you know, command, Everyone said, what is he saying, what is he saying? And the Paul said, wife, submit to your husband. You don't realize, but it must be very confusing to the uh, readers, especially the ladies at the time. Because there, at the time, women already submitted to their husband. You know that? They already submitted to their husband. Actually, it's such a, a male-dominated society was you know Greco-Roman world, the woman could not exercise any uh, of any 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 decision without her mate. And the, did you know the father or husband decided everything, including some husband can you know some father can sell daughters as a slave, sometimes you know sell as a concubine or a prostitute to double up. I mean, some of you say, oh, horrible, you know, this uh, Westerners. Well, East Asians are better. You know, Confucians, there's a saying, Confucian saying, the woman should listen to three men in her life. When they're young, they should listen to their father. When they get married, they listen to their husband. When they're old, they need to listen to their son. You know, male chauvinism, constant, you know, dominated woman. So when Paul said, Wives, submit to your husband. They already submitted to their husband. What is he talking about? Paul talking about the submission comes from heart. Not coming from the punishing threat of the hands of their husband. The submission must come from your heart. It's a voluntary submission of love. You know, the word submission is a, uh, in Greek word is a hupotasso. Actually, it is a military term. It's a to place or rank under, or post under. So in military, you ultimately, you know, whatever Serbia, you, you, you respect to your superior. Why? Because that's how the whole system is uh, you know, designed. It's not because your superior is uh, brilliant, no. That's the overall, you know, system. Now, Paul was calling Christians, I mean Christian wives, that do it voluntarily. Even though you're already doing it, don't do it in the worldly cultural standard. Go beyond it. He's calling a higher standard. You know, someone said Paul is a pro-choice when where women are concerned. Paul is a calling woman to make a choice to submit to your husband for sake of God's kingdom. 
Someone said Richard Foster said, Paul made a decision makers out of those who are forbidden to make a decisions. Yes. Why is he doing that? Paul actually gives a here example. As a church, submit to the Christ. And I want to tell you today the example of the extent of early church's submission to Christ. Because early Christians, the way they served Christ was incredible. And I just want to show you just the gist of it. There is a letter that I, I, I uh, letter, uh, discovered. It's a letter written by Pliny the Younger. He's a governor of uh, uh, Bithynia, uh, today's uh, modern you know, Iraq. And he wrote an uh, emperor Trojan in the 100, uh, 112 you know, common era or AD. So this, we have uh, this actual letter. And uh, this letter is a very, very uh, uh, important document that shows, gives us a very great glimpse about how Romans and pagans or Christians. This letter is uh, written barely 80 years, I mean, you know, 70, 80 years after Christ, right? And this letter, I just, I, for the sake of time, I'll just, it is my practice, my Lord, to refer you all matter concerning which I am in doubt. For who can better give guidance to my hesitation or inform my ignorance? You know, he's a major brown noter. And I have never participated in trials of Christian. I therefore do not know what offenses it is of practice to punish or investigate to what extent. And then he talks about the life of Christians. They were accustomed to meet on fixed day. We're talking about Sunday. Before dawn, did you know they had an early sunrise service, early Christians, every Sunday? And sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God and bind themselves as an oath not to some crime, not to commit a fraud, theft, adultery, or falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and assemble again to partake the food. We're talking about the Lord's Supper, the ordinary but innocent food. Even this day of form, they cease to do after my edict by which in accordance with your instruction. I had a forbidden political association. Romans or Christians association as a worship as a political. It was a political threat to them. Once again, when you take a cornerstone, you will have a full impact of this, full understanding of this. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what, truth, what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who are called deaconesses. So this particular location, Two woman leaders of the church were slaves. But I discovered nothing else but depraved excessive supposition. That means nothing immoral, just a supposition. I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you. For the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of a number involved. That means a large, there was a large number of Christians already by this time. For many persons of every age, every rank, also, both sexes are and will be endangered. For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also villages and farms. It is certainly quite true that the temples which has been almost deserted and then established the religious rite which has been long neglected, and then from everywhere the sacrificial animals are coming, for which now very few purchases could be found 
Hence, it is easy to imagine what multitude of people can be reformed if an opportunity for repentance is afforded. He basically said Christianity is epidemic, spreading everywhere, covering everybody. It doesn't, it doesn't indiscriminately about all social classes and genders and races. What do we, this is why early Christians call themselves Catholics, universal believers. And do you know why Romans persecuted Christians? Because why they thought a political threat? You know, Christians, because they follow Christ with absolute you know, purity and obedience and faithfulness, they're affecting other religions. In a way, Romans are pro-religious people. They love religion. And the whole ancient world is based on you know, different religions, different gods. Polytheism is the name of, name of the game. But Christians come and they say, crucified is our savior and the truth God and the Lord. Not the Caesar, but Jesus Christ is the Lord. Today, the way that you know, today people look at the ISIS as a threat to all religion, that's how Christians were looked upon in the early church. That's why out of the, all the religious people, Christ, early Christians are the only ones who were persecuted by Romans, empire-wide. Yet, early church, they followed Christ. That's the example that Paul is calling wives. Do not submit to your husband just in a superficial level, just because of a whatever physical threat and you know, uh, fear out of a heart. As a church loved Christ and followed him to their extreme suffering, submit to your husband. Sisters, that's your, your challenge. Okay? Now, thank God no brother say amen, and you already know the passage for you is, no, is actually much harder. We're in big trouble. First, you know, when it comes to a husband, Verse 25 to 33. Four wives, there are only three verses. Husband, eight verses. Seven verses. Longer. The longest verse about how husbands do take care and respond to their spouse is here. And the key word here is the verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You need to underline the word love because Back then, Greco-Roman world, the duty of a husband is providing food and shelter. That's it. That's it. Other than that, there's no, no other you know, expectation. Rest of them is, is a privilege. He just ruled family as he fit. Love your wife. That is not heard or spoken, mentioned in any other you know, uh, Greco-Roman philosophers. And here, Paul repeats four times, love, you know, just as Christ love. Husband ought to, verse 28, ought to love their wives at their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 33, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. This is a radical call for husbands at the time. Love your wife as a Christ Love the church. 
and the how Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. He sacrificed himself for her. So how do we you know, take this passage to uh, brothers? How do we take? Does it mean we have to be Christ to our wife? You know? I mean, if you really, I really, really prayed and read the rest of it. Make her holy, cleansing her by washing of the water through the word. So it basically seems like I have to be a pastor to my wife. Then why in the world that I hire Pastor Paul? You know, do I have to teach her, the, teach her about the Bible? And, you know, well, actually you do, but mutually. What is, you know, how do we really love our wife? As a Christ loved us, I just want to give you some practical, practical, but a very important you know, point on that. <clears throat> you know, husband being a head of the family, I want to say two things. One, that doesn't mean you just, you're, you know, husbands are called to make, a, we are not just decision makers. We don't just make decisions and the wife is implemented. We just tell, make my dinner and cook. You know, whatever does uh, cook steak, and then you know, that's not like a decision. And the wife is implemented. No, husband is a head of you know. It's more like a direction setter. We are not decision maker. We are the direction setter. We have a few doctors here, so correct me wrong. But I found out many, many times my head. My brain doesn't make a decision. Decision already made by my body. And then just the brain carries out. Do you, do you have the experience? You know, I'm a very, uh, I have a very sensitive tummy. You know, I'm very, uh, what is a psychosomatic person. I think with my tummy. Something, so when I proposed to Jamie that day, I, I had a tummy, tummy ache all day. You know, I, 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 I think through tummy. And uh, one of the horrible experiences, first time I went to be, uh, uh, Beijing after the, you know, I went to China mission and after China mi uh, mission that we spent one day in the Beijing and the tour the Forbidden City. Anybody been to Forbidden City? Humongous place. And uh, before the Forbidden City, we had a lunch, and uh, the guide, the tour guide, took us to Sichuan, you know, cuisine, and then there, we ate a pigeon. I never ate pigeon before, so while I was eating pigeon, I felt, I just, I just ate it because it's, you know, it's something new and then expensive, and then you know, whatever delicate delicacy. And then we went to the Forbidden City, and Forbidden City, Chinese built the palace very well. Those of you been to, you know, palace in South Korea, in Seoul, whatever, Gwanghamun, whatever. You know, they have this humongous, taller wall and the gate, not just one. In my account, it's several. How many? Five or whatever. And they're very clever because, every, you know, first time you see the gate, oh yeah, this is a capital, big gate. Yeah, I, I expect it. You go a little bit, walk, another humongous wall and gate comes. And after you go through like a four or five of them, you begin to say, wow, when do I see the emperor? So foreigners who go through that, by the time they pass the last gate, they were totally overwhelmed by the size of that, uh, that uh, palace. I mean, that palace they fought, prostrate before the emperor. Very clever way of uh, you know, showing, your, you know, your impressing the newcomers. 
When I went to the, when I was about the third gate, the pigeon I ate was resurrected in my tummy. <laughs> I knew what to get out of my system. Decision is already made. My tummy said, get it. Fine, you know, we need to go to restroom. What is it my brain does? Where? Where? I don't know. I don't know. I've never been here before. And the last time I saw restroom at the entrance, that was 10 minutes ago. And they, the, my guy said, there is a three more gates out there. I don't make it three more minutes. I don't think 10 minutes is too long. So my brain said, gamble. So I ran all the way. And by grace of God, I found one. <laughs> and uh, you know, I didn't know I speak you know, Chinese. Because when they go to public uh, restroom, you have to pay money. So when I entered there, they, they were speaking Chinese of money. I knew, you know, I, I said, no money! <laughs> I, and they understood my, you know, my whatever, English, Spanish, Chinese. And I went there. You know, body, body make, we think, you know, brain makes all the decisions, barricade out. You know, I think medical people can confirm, you know, please tell, you know, confirm me. I think it goes back and forth. What husband being a head of the body simply means we set the direction. Husband, our role is to look up to Christ. And here is. And then another one is this. So, you know, husband, you know, uh, as a Christ is the church, a husband is to the wife, that doesn't mean husbands are redeemer. We are not savior. We are not Jesus Christ, our wife. You know, we are not redeemer to a wife, because then what are we? We are reflector of God's love to our wife. And here is the key. Brothers, single or married, you want to be a good husband to your, spouse, your wife? You have to know how much Christ loves you. That's our job. Tim Keller said, you will never be a good groom, groom to your wife unless you first become a good bride to Jesus. Yes, absolutely right. C.S. Lewis said this, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Amen. We need to know, husbands, our job is to know how much Christ loves me and loves us. If you don't know how much Christ loves you, you cannot be a good husband. Because our love, the Christ-like love doesn't come from us. It's only from comes Christ. Our role is reflecting their love. Here I want to share my testimony. I received, actually received the permission from Jamie. <laughs> you know, when I was uh, in college, when I was single, uh, my pastor, he always, you know, in the sermon used the expression that, oh, we are the, you know, uh, blessed bride of uh, Jesus Christ, our heavenly groom. You know, s sisters will say, yeah, amen. I didn't say amen. I felt like, oh, so gay. You know, I'm sorry. That's so, I'm a. You know what do you mean? I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a bride. I'm a guy. I'm a. You know. So I didn't really. You know. It, it didn't really bless me. I felt. Oh, pastor. That's. That's too much. You know. Too. 
too much, too much, you know, euphemism. Until in my senior in college, I was, I fell in love with a, a, a girl. So I didn't have any girlfriend for a long time, actually, don't re recall any girlfriend. And then senior year, <laughs> uh, senior, senior year, a newcomer came and, uh, you know, uh, she, yeah, she was uh, very attractive. And uh, you know, she's uh, like a head turner. And so a lot of my friends turned their head too. <laughs> and uh, so now the problem was, I was interested in her, but at the same time, I was a leader of a college group, and we had about 100 college students in that church, particularly my home church in Los Angeles. And the one thing I always wish that a leader set a good model of a dating. Because all my friends and the whatever upperclassmen, there was nobody set a good dating you know, uh, models. There was so many cross date, uh, whatever. So so-and-so is an ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, this kind of thing was so rampant. Seems like no leaders are respected for their dating you know, integrity. So I want to say a really good example. So that means God has to lead my dating. So I began to pray to God about her. Lord, is she the one? You know? And God said, God didn't say anything. God said, <laughs> silent. I was praying hard, silent. One month, two months, three months, silent. No, no, I mean, I'm praying. I'm really praying, you know, fervently. I wouldn't say anything. And meantime, I hear almost every single one of my friends are asking her out. <laughs> and, you know, objectively speaking, I am the most qualified guy. <laughs> Unlike my friends, I didn't have any ex-girlfriend. My, I'm a pure, you know, I'm a Latino, I'm very romantic, you know, you know. I'm poor, but, uh, you know, I, can, I know good Chinese restaurant that we can go to. And then so I began to worry that, uh, I think, uh, objectively speaking, wow, yeah, objectively speaking, I think uh, I'm the most qualified person to love her, but uh, all this, you know, less qualified guys is asking, oh, God, what if she goes out with you know, one of them and then, you know, then the whole universe is falling apart, you know. So anyway, I become a very anxious. And by the time it became a six months, the second semester came, my last semester in senior year. I was, I remember in the library, I was reading my you know, textbook and I saw her face in the, in the page. And I said, oh man, that I couldn't study anymore. So at the time, I prayed a lot at the Biola University, you know, prayer chapel, but I said, oh, forget it, I can't study. So I went to pray again, and I still remember, I'm praying to God, Lord. And my prayer was very, God, I miss her. <laughs> God, I miss her. That's all I said. And then I still remember. You know what Holy Spirit uh, uh, whispered to me? Paul, do you know I love you more than you love her? And there I was, uh, uh, I, I was electrified by that whisper. Because when I love somebody as my bride, potential you know, spouse, 
I would give everything that I have, and it was not a sacrifice. It would be my joy. I was happy. If she loves me back 1% of I love, my love, I'll be happy. That's how much, you know. When I saw that person as my potential, you know, us, you know, uh, 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 bride, I would give everything, and I'll not, you know, that's not a even, it's my pleasure. It's not my sacrifice or anything. And here is Almighty God, who loves me more, you know, more than I love my whatever. So when God said that, guess what? I really realized what my pastor meant, that we are the heavenly bride. We, we are the blessed bride to the heavenly groom called Jesus Christ. And I cried. I said, Lord, that's more than enough for me. You want to hear finish the rest of the story? So we met. And then we went out there twice and found out she liked me too. She was wondering why, why it took him so long. The second day when I found out she's not called to, she doesn't want to be pastor's wife. You know, I'm not a, well, I just, so after second day we broke up. I mean, it's not even broke up. It's more like interview. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you, our life direction is a different. You're just happy to be a, just a going church member. I'm looking for pastor's wife. I'm sorry, you, you know, goodbye, God bless you, we move on. <laughs> But that experience about how much Jesus loves me. You know, I, at the beginning of our worship, I, those of you came on time, you heard that uh, Steve uh, Curtis Chapman's song, you know, I'll be here, I'll be here. And then with uh, the animation, you know, movie of up. On my wedding day, my pastor preached 45 minutes. <laughs> you think my sermon was long? I heard this long wedding sermon standing up there. But thank God, the song that uh, Jamie's, my, my brother-in-law, my younger brother-in-law sang, that kept me. And then whole 45 minutes, I felt like it's a few minutes. Because I was looking at Jamie, and the thought that goes through my mind was, girl, do you know what you're going to, what you're signing up? <laughs> do you know, do you, do, you, do, you, do you think you got a good guy here? God, you know what are you getting into? Man alive. You know, I was looking at the, you know, a person who is, making me as a top priority, the most important person in her life, for me, that is a grace of God. Of course, I extend the same grace. So I said, even human, you know, there is a much, you know, I mean, more, I mean, better man than I, but she chose me. Same thing. There are maybe better woman than Jamie, but I chose her. We extending a grace. We making each other as a top priority. That's the marriage. And then that top priority, well, some of you might laugh at the Pastor Paul. I don't see you guys that kind of really, 
You're not really perfect marriage, you know, perfect marriage. I see you bickering, you kind of a cat and dog. You're like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Garfield and the tiger fighting, you know. Yeah. But we have a Christ. I cannot do this journey without Jamie. I'm so grateful that God gave me a, this a suitable helper that uh, supported me and helped me. And then, you know, we'll be there to the end. Why is a song like that really, you know, you know, warms our heart? Why do we see the old couple, we say the word like, they look so cute? Old people are not cute. <laughs> why you call them a cute? You know why? They reflect Christ's undying, unchanging love for you and me. That's why we say cute. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, let me close the sermon quick. Foremost duty of a husband is to know Christ's love for you. And then you can love your wife. So is that Christ is your lover? Brothers, you need to really seek your heart. Because without Christ being a, our lover, we cannot love our wife or our family. Always my wedding, wedding ceremony, wedding sermon, I ends with this uh, you know, quote from Martin, uh, Martin Luther, the reformer. There's no more lovely, friendly, charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. Luther's life testified great reformation was impossible had he not married to Catherine von Bora. You know, marriage is worth fighting for. And what do you fight for? Not just a better lifestyle. Because you provide better than other husbands, do you think you have done your job? According to Paul, that's not really. The standard is a Jesus Christ. And uh, every marriage, our goal is to make a Christ as a common bond. Singles, I pray you pray along with this line. And find you know, brothers and you know, ultimate you know, partner in their regard. Let's pray.